can use it together. I think I can be a professional basketball player. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 122. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. We're recording this. It's a trade deadline podcast. We're recording it essentially as the Bucks are going to be playing the Sun, so you'll get no commentary on that. But what you will get is a bond fare- uh, fond farewell to Dante DiVincenzo. The big ragu is out, and there's no one I would rather you know write his eulogy with more than Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. How are you guys doing? Um, I think it's very fitting that you tripped up there trying to execute a mm. simple, you know, say no, no disrespect, but fond farewell. <laughs> it's very Dante-esque. So I really, I salute you for sticking to the bit tonight. I'm feeling good. I'm drinking some sleepy time tea because I'm dealing with discomfort from the COVID booster. But not only that, I'm going to be sleeping well tonight. Thank you, John Horst. This one's for you, buddy. Big fan. I'm, you know, as probably one of the last people I still believed it is an end of an era. I, I do have to let that go. Um, I'm also having some PTS, PTSD because the last time we did an emergency pod of Dante DiVincenzo getting traded to the Kings, it got reneged days later. And you know what? The same bum reported that trade. And I, I don't know. I'm not feel. I feel like maybe I shouldn't go all in yet because all of it can be irrelevant in two days. And then there's going to be some tampering charges and a loss of a draft pick. It's it's honestly unbelievable that he got traded to the Kings. I, I like I get I get it and I understand it, but it, it's just as Kyle said, it's just too perfect. What a storybook ending to his his time in Milwaukee. Shout out the Kings social media person. I probably was like, finally, I can use this damn graphic that's been sitting in the drafts for <laughs> God knows how long. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we'll, we'll get into it. So, th- of course, this had to be really complicated. So the the Bucks were were part of a four team trade. We're mostly going to touch on the Bucks part. I don't really care about the others. So essentially, the principles are: the Bucks send Dante Divincenzo to the Sacramento Kings. They also send Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale to the Los Angeles Clippers, and in return, they are getting Sergi Baca, two second round picks, one of which is a twenty twenty third pick the lower of Cleveland and Golden State, which will probably be kind of middling. And then, go ahead, Riley. Question for the people at home, because I still don't understand it. So for lower, does that mean lower, like the worst of the two picks? I know there's some confusion in the comments today. So is that the worst of either of their picks that we get, essentially? Hmm. Anybody know? Because lower could also mean like lower in the draft order. I I thought it meant lower in draft order. So like instead of like 35, if it's 40, then we get 40 instead of 35. I didn't mean to stump everybody, but I just been I don't know. I wasn't paying attention, to be honest. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not sure. It won't be a very good pick. The second no. one is more interesting. It's it's uh, via Sacramento, but it's Portland's 2024 second round picks. That one has the potential to maybe be a decent one. And also some cash, of course. So essentially what Horace did today was cobble together the salaries of Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale along with Dante DiVincenzo and get back a significantly larger salary. Uh, the, the salary a salary of a size that I wasn't really expecting um, given it pushed their tax bill up, I think by about 8 million. Um, So, you know, where do we want to start guys? Where where do you want to start Kyle? Do you want to start with saying goodbye to Dante or do you want to talk about what surge might bring to the team? I, I I just want to say, I said, John Horace was going to flip semi Ojale into something useful and he did that. So shout out to myself for predicting it. Uh, Shemi, you, you came, yeah. You, you looked like you were in the gym the whole time and you didn't conquer. Um, shout out Rodney Hood for still being able to play in the NBA. I guess good for him. But uh, I'm going to start with Dante just because I, I think it was – we had heard that Dante was probably going to get – possibly going to get traded, but it was a, you know, they wanted to get someone useful or a young player. And I guess the Bucks thought Serge Baca would be someone that's useful. And then there was reports that it was going to be for Dennis Schroeder and then I was vomiting a little bit, but then the Bucks wanted Grant Williams included, and I felt a little bit better because it felt like the Bucks were doing this mainly to get Grant Williams, which would have been a good move if they were able to accomplish it, but Boston didn't want to do that. So it kind of felt as though this was probably not I felt like that was going to be the trade if it was going to happen. Like the Bucks and the Celtics would find a way to make it work, whether it's with Grant Williams or draft picks, whatever. 
So the fact that it goes in this direction, you know, it, yeah, why the other teams had to get included, I don't know, but whatever. You know, getting out of Shemi Ojale's, you know, that was a loss. Everyone knew that. Roddy Hood, like two of these guys, those two guys aren't going to be on the court come playoff time. And Dante would have had an uphill climb to beat out George Hill and Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen to get time. And even Wes Matthews, like he was going to have to beat out probably three, four dudes to maybe see rotation minutes in the playoffs. So now you're bringing in someone that worst case scenario, you can have him be the backup big. If Brooke is not healthy, best case scenario, he is a guy that you can maybe do a little bit more switching with Giannis on the court. It does give you a guy that even though he looks slow as hell, he's still a dude that can kind of shoot still a dude that can kind of play. So that's kind of helpful as well. So I, I think it is a, Bummer, just because I think we saw we definitely saw the highs and lows of Dante. But when you have a guy that's consistently injury prone, it's really hard to hedge your bets again, especially when he's going to be a restricted free agent this summer. It it made sense why the Bucks had to part with it. I think what we saw before Dante got hurt and last year in the playoffs was probably the best version of Dante, as frustrating as it is. So Dante, I I try I believed in you even when you came back and everyone's ready to write you off. I still believed in you and um. Best of luck in Sacramento. At the very least, you will you will get playing time. Um, you you will get playing time. I don't know where you're going to end up in this after this year, but yeah, I don't know. It is. I, I think this was a good move from Milwaukee's perspective because you get rid of three guys that probably weren't going to help you in the playoffs for a guy that potentially could be a huge asset for you. Kyle is the final believer of the podcast trio, and some might say the entire staff and Dante. What what's like the percentage odds you drive down to Milwaukee, Pfizer Farm tomorrow to see if they got the discounted, the clearance rack Dante? Jerseys or jerseys? Honestly thought about it, and I am going to Milwaukee a few times in the next month. Uh so I I did contemplate doing it. Uh maybe I'll see how it is when I get because I'm going to the Suns Bucks game next month so maybe i'll check that out and see if it's still there or i'll check out a coles coles might have some hiding in the background as well the 30 15 20 30 percent off deal with the dante jersey it's it's unbeatable it's gonna uh, that's gonna be on the clearance rack of coles where it's like 70 80 percent off where it's like yeah just go ahead and take it it's for free <laughs> or for dante um so as somebody who is not a dante believer totally okay with moving them on uh as Kyle said, there are highs and lows to Dante, and he is a guy who does stuff. Part of the issue is we probably saw more consistent lows than we did highs. To be fair, he's coming back from injury, but it just seems like he's not going to be the same guy necessarily, or especially this year. I mean, maybe he will after a full offseason of working with the team or whatever, but right now it doesn't seem like that guy. And if he's not that guy and he does stuff, where are you going to find a role for him? Uh, any role that he gets put into is going to be an emergency situation. And if he's out there, we're praying. We're holding on with both hands and saying, please, Dante, point guard Dante, don't ruin this Eastern Conference Finals appearance for us. The, As Kyle said, the position that he was at, just say guards in general, he is not specialized, which makes him handy in the regular season when you kind of need a stopgap. But in playoff time where you need to either be like a reliable three-point shooter, a dominant defender, or somebody who can defend up a size, um, a great passer, like you don't have to be excellent at any of those things, but you have to have an archetype. And right now, Dante, between his physicality, which has diminished a little bit, his horrendous shooting splits that have improved a little bit over the past couple of weeks, but not so much that I'm like, well, now Dante's back. I never thought that Dante was back. I'm not sure if Dante is going to be back this year. Or ever. I mean, this guy's got a million feet and ankle issues. Like we josh on him all the time, but it's true that he's just got a lot of lower leg injuries. So the whole body of Dante's existence as a Milwaukee Buck, uh, I was just done with it a while ago. I, I kind of understand why people are sentimental because he's a draft pick, but what, what's my recurring joke? This is like his rookie year. We've yet to see this guy for like a whole season. I never got emotionally attached to Dante. Like I, you know, it, it, it was very easy for me to make the trade or to see the trade go through. Um, and I don't think we're going to miss much of a beat depending on who we sign in bio season and things like that. So uh, Dante, thanks for not being like a head case or whatever, but uh, good luck in Sacramento. Go get that much reduced, not $100 million John Hollinger bag this off season. Well, I was good. I was going to say, I think, I would say from from a from national perspective, it didn't feel like 
it definitely felt like a lot of national writers value Dante more than Bucks fans do. And it seemed like people were you know, not necessarily panning the trade, but kind of like middling on it. it. And I think a lot of that has to do with their perceived high value of of Dante, which I, I think that the, the thing about him is his advanced metrics have looked really good for most years, which is somewhat surprising. But it's it he's one of those players where you see him stacking the box score like wide. He's 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 getting this. He's he's getting rebounds. He's getting assists. And he can fit in into, uh, you know, he might be able to fit into a, a team infrastructure that really values someone who wants to be able to make plays and wants to have the ball. But I, I do feel like the further we get from <clears throat> sort of like the the Malcolm Brogdon Dante time as the as the fifth shooting guard, I, I feel like the more I, I've grown more comfortable with a, a player who isn't trying to freelance, like is, is, is completely comfortable with play being that fifth wheel. And I felt like at times Dante just, he wanted to do, he wanted to do stuff uh, offensively that really just was not needed. And and I think especially the, the introduction of Drew made that just like, so, so clear given how much better he was as a ball handler. And I felt like at that, at that point, Kyle, there just like, wasn't much need to be like, okay, what happens when they wall off Bledsoe, Middleton and Giannis? Like, we don't need another guy point shooting guard who's just okay at it to try and make something happen. Yeah. Considering how bad he's been shooting, it's like, there's really not going to be that much of an asset. If he was, you know, more of a sharpshooter or was just in a slump, that'd be one thing, but he, he's just been so inconsistent with his shooting. It makes it difficult to kind of be like, okay, we need to have him out there. Yes. He does more on offense than what the other two guards have, you know, in terms of Grayson Allen or Wes Matthews before that, or, it's slightly Malcolm Brogdon, like he does something else where he'll go to the hoop, he'll cut to the hoop, like he's good, he's a good cutter. But I, I think that did make things a little bit more difficult. And I don't know, I just feel like even if Dante were to get to his second year status, where he was a good guy to come off the bench, you know, not nothing special, but he was at least solid. He was someone that you know, if he was coming off your bench, then good. But we haven't seen that, and I don't know. How long do you continue trying to roll with that? If like the guy, I, I like I said, I defend the guy. I wanted, I wanted him to do well, but this year was definitely a. I don't know if he. There's no way he's going to play in the postseason, and you know, with his fit with the starters, I, I think it. When it would have come to the half court side of it, it would not have worked out. Two things. One, Dante, as soon as Grayson got here, Dante was largely redundant. Now, you could argue that Dante is a better defender. But even then, my second point is, what does Dante execute at a high level? Like, what does he do at a high level? Rebound. Okay, so, I legit would say rebounding. Like, okay, rebound. Yeah, for, for a guard, guard rebounding. rebounding is yes. I would say he is. I, I feel like when he goes up for a rebound, I feel more confident him getting it than even Bobby Portis. That's true. So I'll give you that. And defensively, it's been hit or miss because he plays so aggressively and sometimes it works out. And I think he is better than Grayson is at like navigating pick and rolls. Um, He's more comfortable with the system. He knows what to do. Like all that is good. He was God awful in transition. I mean, one of the worst players in transition I've seen in years. He was the number of turnovers he caused hitting it off his own head, hitting it off of George Hill's head, not running the lanes correctly. And then offense, even if he cuts well, we're like at Drew Holiday and Brooklyn series levels of finishing at the rim. If he gets to the rim, I'm like, uh, and now you have to say he has improved over the past couple of weeks, but that's never been like a strong suit for him. How many, again, how many years have we been like, Oh, you see that funny, like Dante went up for a dunk and he blew it or he went up for a layup uncontested and he totally blew it. Like it just happens all the time. And if that's going to be the case and I don't have anything besides rebounding as a guard or like, depending on what your preference is defensively. I'm sorry, we got to, you know, if we can cash in you and something else to get, like, in theory, we'll talk about Serge in a minute, a theory, a guy who can play, like, a sp- more specific role on this team, then you got to do it. I, you know, people will say we sold low, which we probably did, but I also find it difficult to understand, like, who's offering Dante the kind of deal that we can, like, threaten to match to try and get a sign to trade from. I have no idea. And, like, 
Sacramento would have been a signing trade with Sacramento. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. But there's a reason why they traded for him now, so they'd have to deal with it. Like, it's just, to me, everything lines up so right that it's like, he's a little bit on the outs. We have enough guys there. He doesn't execute on the highest level at, like, things that would be useful for him. Uh, And I just think it's time to move on. Like, it probably, honestly, it might be like a good refresher for him to go somewhere else because right now he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. He's a bud guy. Um, but maybe like a Sacramento team that I don't know if they're competing or not, but you know, he's going to have more minutes there potentially just to see what he can do. Maybe he'll find a better partnership, maybe working with, um, Fox or, uh, Davion Mitchell will work out better for him. But I just, I'm very comfortable with the move because of all those different things that come together personally. Yeah. I guess it's more for me, Pat Connaughton stepped up in the playoffs when Dante got hurt. If Pat Connaughton didn't step up, then I would understand, okay, you keep Dante, Mm -hmm. you still keep Pat this season, but you probably give Dante the benefit of the doubt. You try and make him more of a priority than Pat come this offseason. And Pat just stepped it up in the playoffs, and he kept that going at the beginning of the season. And we've seen, like, Pat Connaughton is someone that needs to play in the playoffs. And that, I think, was what made it difficult. Plus, yeah, like you said, Riley, Grayson Allen coming in made Dante a little bit redundant. And then especially when Grayson Allen accepted the offer, it felt as though this was a, we're just going to ride with this guy. We're going to trade for this guy. We're going to get him this contract. We're going to just go with Grayson Allen. Not to say we don't want Dante, but at this point, we can't take that risk of losing both of these guys, especially if Grayson Allen were to become a hit. Then we have to dig ourselves in this hole. Like we know what, we probably would want to pay Dante. We don't know anymore. We didn't know what we wanted to pay Grayson Allen initially. And especially if he were to play, I don't know how much he would have made this year. Like maybe it would have gotten a little over 10 because some team would have probably been tempted to do it. So it is just tough. And I think with Dante, it's more the, he did a lot of things. All right, which is good to have in a guy that comes off the bench. But the problem is he didn't do one thing particularly well. And in a team where you don't need guys that can do that are good at a little bit of things, you need someone that's got something at a high level, whether it is shooting, whether it's defending, whether it is even if, if it's playmaking, he needed to have one of those things and he just didn't. He had a lot of, yeah, it's fine. It's solid. Like you can definitely, it works in the regular season. Maybe it would have helped in the playoffs in a very much emergency pinch, but if he can't do anything that separates him from George Hill in terms of playmaking and ball handling, he's not going to play there. If he can't separate himself shooting from Pat Conten, he wasn't going to get anything there. It is what it is. I, I Like I said, I think this would be a good start because, yes, Sacramento is still in contention for a playing game. He'll definitely play. He'll probably even start. And, yeah, I think for him, it'll just be a good chance for, to get more time in the court that he wouldn't have seen in Milwaukee. Uh, defensively, I was pretty, I mean, I was pretty high on him for most of his time in Milwaukee and a lot of it was defensively. I thought he was pretty solid just navigating around the pick and roll. I thought he was one of the best players on the team actually at doing that. I I think he's lost a step personally. I think that some of the foot injuries have made it harder for him to be able to get around that. Maybe he'll regain that. Maybe he won't. I'm not quite sure, but I I also did wonder and we'll never know now, but I, I was thinking a little bit during last season's, Playoffs when the defense really ratcheted it up. If the absence of a freelancer who kind of has no business freelancing uh, in a in a switch heavy defense that really needs to be based upon communication might have been a, a benefit. I think I think there might have been a little bit of that, and so I, I really wasn't super looking forward to seeing Dante help off a weak side shooter in the playoffs and go for a steal and have that turn into a shot. So. Some of his just reckless freelancing really bugged me, and I think maybe it might it was a might have been a little bit by addition by subtraction defensively in the playoffs last year, which uh, you know I, I get it, and I, I was of the opinion that maybe they should wait and sign and trade this offseason, but it's harder to sign and trade. It's it's harder to always execute it. You might just lose a guy, and it didn't seem like they were super interested in paying him. And who knows? I mean, Sacramento might have given him a big like a big offer sheet, which would have been ridiculous. And so you may as well try and get someone. So it's, it's too bad. I mean, I, I enjoyed Dante's time here. He was, uh, 
I don't know, whatever. He was he's kind of like a he's a weird player to have around, I mean, right? On. We're getting here to the very end and our words are he was fine, he was whatever, <laughs> he did stuff. That's the Dante experience and that's fine, but like we have to come to terms with that. I would love to get a Dante stand on just to like feel their passion because I can't get it going. And it doesn't Kyle's the biggest believer and he's not all that passionate about it even either. I mean, it's like it's one of those where I also have to be realistic. You know, I I understand Dante's flaw and, you know, this is probably better for everyone in the long term and especially for the rest of the season. So I, I, I wanted Dante to succeed. I still want Dante to succeed. I just know it wasn't going to happen in Milwaukee unless he drastically improved, which I don't have confidence in. Yeah, I, I think and, it was more the I felt like I needed to continue supporting Dante just because everyone was so out on him that I was like, okay, well, I are it. This is also Bucks Twitter. Like maybe maybe Bucks Twitter is just slightly overreacting, but there are definitely times where I was like, I uh, uh, I don't know about this. <laughs> I think there's also another upside to this, which is Dante DiVincenzo, notorious Bud guy. Uh, probably better that we take one of the tools out of the tool shed for Bud to go to. You know, when he goes into the tool shed and we're down two games to one against whoever, and he's he's searched around, he's like, ah, Pat's not doing it, Grayson isn't doing it, and he grabs at Dante. You know, I'd rather find out we're screwed and like change the game plan and be like, look, Giannis, Chris, Drew, you have to take up like a much bigger role than Dante. You're going to be the guy. We're going to see if that works. So I think that's kind of another plus is like, you know, it's nice to have those options there. And especially if injuries start hitting us for whatever reason. But for the moment, assuming we have health, probably best to just like continue to force Bud's hand, like play the best players, make them do most of the stuff. Dante is going to take us, you know, a secondary seat to all that. I think it's also tough because Dante was a first round pick that uh, he was not, you know, Giannis, but he was not bad. Like, it's weird to see a Bucks first round pick not be a complete bust. And I think that's also why we p- were trying to hang on to that glimmer of hope. Because like, oh, this guy actually can contribute. He is an NBA player. We couldn't say that about some of the recent first round picks like Rashad Vaughn or DJ Wilson. DJ Wilson. Or, or unfortunately, Jabari. <laughs> so he was our best pick since Giannis. Best first Absolutely. pick since Giannis. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yeah, that's that's what does that say about the Bucks drafting though in the first uh, round? Yeah. That's not great. Um all right. Well, any other words about Dante that we want to say as a as he leaves us for the Dante, if you're listening, don't try and like tweets of us slandering you. Um, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, don't, or better yet, don't like tweets of people slandering the Bucks because you've gotten caught with your hand in the cookie jar like on three separate occasions now. Knock that off. Stop tweeting about how Eric Bledsoe got dissed. Even if it is true, trust me, we can see the likes. We can, we can see the likes. He was he, he seemed like a nice guy, like good culture guy. Obviously, he had like no issues. Uh, there were highlights. I'm not saying there was like nothing whatsoever. Um, he was just like a somewhat run of the mill guy who was on the roster. Uh, and sometimes that's what you need to just get through regular season. It's a real shame about the injuries. I wish to, you know, maybe it'd be a different circumstance if he didn't have all the injuries, but say la, I guess we've, we've moved off other guys before for injury trouble. So it's not, you know, it's not new ground for us. You gave us some memories. I think you lost to Zora and horse. Um, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I was never a huge fan of your facial hair, but I was glad you went with what you liked. Oh, the um, ruby, the ruby red <laughs> shoes or the yellow big oh, road shoes. I, I always am... did think those looked awful. The red ones, okay, I good. really despise them. I mean, they were those... so bad. And then Giannis started wearing red shoes. Of like, it's a movement. This is awful. So I will not miss his shoe selection because it was horrendous. And I, I'm I cannot even talk. Like I, I certainly can't speak about fashion or anything like that. But I, I was not a fan of the red shoes. Um, good nickname. You let us do a fun segment for a while. Thank you, Dante, for your service. Uh, anything else on on Rodney Hood or or Shemi Ojale, uh before we move on to the uh, recent uh, acquisition of Surge? Any memories? Uh, I, I do. So two memories stand out to me, and these are big. Rodney Hood's Knicks game where he stood. <sighs> On the mountaintop. It was an 11 a.m. start central. It was noon Eastern time. And I think he scored 17 points and he was on fire in the third quarter. So that we, anytime a guy is buried in the rotation, has a game like that, salute. The other thing, Shemi Ojale was one of the worst free agent acquisitions in at league history, but his final game suiting up as a Milwaukee Buck against the Portland Trailblazers, he hits two threes. 
he goes out on the highest level for what he did here. Um, so good for you, Shemi, staying ready. Uh, and I also am sorry that Woj spells your name wrong in the tweet. <laughs> I know he was Russian. Woj is a bum. But my lasting thoughts on Rodney Hood. I, I think Rodney Hood, you can see what he offers. Like, you can see it. It's just because of his injuries. It's just not there, which is unfortunate because I think he could, you know, if he was healthy and had some athleticism, he could really be a useful piece for this team. So good on Rodney Hood, though, for continuing to play. I mean, definitely from an Achilles injury, that's tough. Uh, Shemi Ojale, we, we we thought it would have worked. You were great value P.J. Tucker, and you were lower than great value P.J. Tucker. I don't even know <laughs> what, like, is lower than that. That seems like, like you are you are the winking value, you man. are they the all these bags. He is the all these winking owl wine of, <laughs> of everything. And you know what? You understand the process that went into it. Horrendous result. I mean, one of the worst results of all for both Rodney. I mean, Rodney was okay, but like decent process. It was just it remains hilarious that we say PJ salute to you. Good luck. Get that bag. And then an hour later, you're like, and we got Shemmy Oljoy. <laughs> when uh, that sequence of events is one of John Horst's masterpieces. So shout out to you, Horst, for timing that properly. And once again, shout out Horst for making mistakes in the offseason and jettisoning them. Correcting them the right end. away. He's like, we're going to move it. And did, we'll talk in the a DJ second. August the DJ Augustine special. Yep. The exactly. D- yeah, like his ability to find these guys and be like, look, we, we need roster space. Can we get like a couple of seconds, whatever, to make it work? It's pretty high level stuff. So we'll talk about that in a second. But yes, that, that was wonderful. Course. So so Shemi, ends, Shemi Ojal ends his time as a 25.7% <laughs> shooter from the field, <laughs> which is which is pretty good. If um, Higher than I would have guessed. I had no honestly, idea. I'm trying to think who shot better, Shemi or Dante, and it, I think it was still Dante, but it's probably closer than it, than it should be. I'm looking it up now. Oh, okay, yeah, we are. It, it is Dante, um, but it's disgustingly close. Dante was at 33 percent for the season. Like that is so abysmal, uh, man. Anyway, wow. You are correct. Shemi goes down as one of the uh, sort of worst players that I can remember in a long time that are was supposed to be Wendell a rotation. Wind- Winding King or what? that two-way? Oh, Jesus. All right. Yeah. The uh, the thing about Shemi Ojale, the, the fact that it went so bad, you kept watching the games waiting for it to happen. Like the old pumpkin at midnight, like yeah. the... The mice turn into the horses. You were waiting. You're like, this is going to be a Disney moment. And it just it never happened, unfortunately. It's too bad. He's a strong guy, though. All right. Sergi Baca. Bucks get Sergi Baca. Uh, so I, I have to admit, when they got him, I was kind of like, uh, I kind of th- I kind of thought he was completely washed. And I've sort of talked myself into it as the day has gone on. The, th- the thing, of course, that this sort of signals is, I don't think it signals that Brooke won't be back, but it of course signals that maybe there's a little more concern or at least I would say more uncertainty about the Brooke Lopez back situation potentially than we're thinking just given I I was, they obviously wanted to go out and wanted to get a big man and were willing to spend more money to get a big man, which I think says something about the the actions of today. So I I don't know, Riley, what were you thinking when you saw that they decided to get Sergi Baca of, of all people? My first thought was, I didn't know he was still in the league. My second thought was, oh my God, he's making almost $10 million. So not only is he still in the league, but he's getting paid too. So uh, big respect to the surge protector, Iblaka, whatever you want to call him. And mostly it was PTSD highlights. The The Bucks Twitter team put up a compendium of Serge Ibaka clips from mostly his time in Toronto when he was probably at his peak. And then I don't know when the Clippers highlights were. Maybe it was from last season. If they were, that's even worse. Maybe it was from this season. Serge looks a little stiff. I haven't watched much Clippers basketball. He's looking a little stiff out there. So uh, when I found out he was still in the league, I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Kind of makes sense. Like big guy, not like a true center per se, can space the floor, all those sorts of things. Um, But I wasn't like thrilled or anything. And when this is peeking behind the curtain, Adam said, could they move him and those seconds for someone else? 
I love it. That would have been amazing. Head horseman, like psych, we're moving them for, I mean, I don't know what crappy player, like, you know, let's see if uh, Orlando will take him off her hands and some seconds for somebody good, for example. But um, I don't know. I'm like middling on the move, I guess. Uh, I'd love to see how he looks. Maybe he was, you know, sending it in with the Clippers. I doubt it. They're like in playoff contention, but uh, in theory, you get what they're going for, which is going to see if he has anything left in the tank, which I'm not so sure about. I didn't mind it just because, you know, I I have not watched much Clippers basketball, so I don't know if Serge Ibaka is still good. But I know that Serge Ibaka was freakingly annoying whenever he guards Giannis. He may be a little stiff, but in that Clippers game, he was still – he still had moments where it was just annoying. So why not just put him on your team so you don't have to worry about crossing that bridge later on? But – I don't know. Like I said, I think it can give Milwaukee more options in terms of defensively. You can do a little bit more him at center with Giannis. Um, you could do him and Bobby Portis. I think it's I think it's just good insurance to have a big that probably is more credible than anyone else that we've gone through that rotation. Like I think I trust him more than Boogie. I trust him more than Greg Monroe. I trust him more than most of the potential big options that were out there. Maybe not that young. I probably would have stuck with. I would. Have, I would have gone with that young over Serge Ibaka. But I, I think, given the options and given this was probably the only way you can go about it, I, I think it's. I think it's fine. Like I don't think Serge Ibaka is going to be the key missing piece like PJ Tucker was. But I think this is an up. Considering, like I said, considering you're giving up three guys that probably wouldn't have seen any of the court during the playoffs for a guy that probably will get. 10 to 20 minutes. I don't mind it. I mean, I, I thought when it was like, oh, the Bucks are going to two second round picks and they still had like two roster spots. I thought that was going to be another. I thought there was going to be another trade. Yeah, I I, I, I think I, I was on the record as saying I'm not super excited about this trade deadline. And then in the last like three hours of it, I, I got real amped. And I was like, who's he going to flip these last couple people for? There's like so there's so much palpable excitement. And then actually... This was an exciting one, but still, for most of the teams, it's like almost nothing happens. Um, so, but thankfully, Horst keeps it exciting. So, Ibaka's interesting. I mean, he's certainly, obviously, not the rim protector he once was. If you, if you look um, in general, his ability for opponents to uh, their opponent's percentage at the rim is is right about middling. Like they're not necessarily shooting better at the rim when he's on the floor. Uh, as far as his team, but it's definitely gone down from his first eight or so years. When, if you look at it, it's crazy. I mean, teams opponents shot six to nine percent worse at the rim with him on the floor, which is obviously what you would try and get him for. It, the feet have certainly slowed down, so that's like that's going to be a question when it comes to running potentially a, a switching scheme and what he might be able to offer you in there. I I don't know what other schemes he's been in. I'm not like I'm not sure if he can run drop. I would sort of think as much and maybe that's something that he would be able to lean into in his elder age but I think that'll be a a curious thing to see how Bud deploys him defensively offensively I mean it's sort of a a natural what you would think right I mean he's supposed to be able to make threes he's a career what 36 percent shooter from three so sort of in the Brooke Lopez zone sort of like the mid buck zone of this is kind of what you expect he's at 38.7 percent this year so it's hard to get jacked about the move. Like like Kyle said, I don't think it's the PJ Tucker move, but I, I do think there's there's a little shade of that in that he's he is he's coming back from injury, and I think a lot of his numbers will look really really low. And there was a very big question about how much PJ Tucker had left in the tank last year, and obviously he seemed to have more than enough for the playoff run. So I I will be curious to see how Ibaka does, especially knowing he's coming back on the other side of once again, a, a back injury. So he'll be working his way back. And I, I'm really interested to see how Bud deploys him defensively and what, what methods he uses. Something tells me he does not have the like speed of a Bobby Portis to do a like flat hedge blitzing defense. And uh, as we've seen with numerous guys who have tried to come through, really hard to like, you understand the principle of the drop, but to be able to execute it at a high level, you don't need the crazy ath- craziest athleticism, but you do need some. So this is the like the theory, the idea of Serge Ibaka. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty into that. Like I can understand the reality of it. 
how much Ben Gay does this guy need pre and post game on a nightly basis to like get out there and work? You know, I'm not saying that, I mean, maybe he'll get enough like rest and ease into it and he'll be able to turn it on for like a 10 game period at some point in the postseason, which is what he'll be most like necessary for. Um, but I guess just thinking of what lineups he'll go in, I don't know, like, or like guys that he'll guard because I, I think in the situation. So let's say for example, against Brooklyn, I mean, Katie would probably feast him, but if you have an opposing team that does like some isolation or is okay with like trying to play you straight up against certain guys, Serge probably has enough, obviously just body strength and like enough quickness to work. I just don't know how many teams are going to see that do that necessarily. Um, and his blocking percentage is like down a little bit from last year, but it's up from two years ago. So he's, he, he's not what he used to be. Uh, and that's probably what's tempering a lot of people's expectations or their like feeling about it. It's like, Oh, he might be okay. But if he's like physically washed, we happened to hit the lottery with PJ last year. He was not physically washed. Uh, we're trying to do another scratch off here. And if it does not work out, that's going to be uh, a guy a la Miritich who's just like, we never see again after a certain point. It's like, it's just not working. So, uh, you know, it, it's risky, a little risky. Is Ibaka's contract up after this year, right? Yeah, it yes. is. But we have his, we have his bird rights. I don't give a shit about that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but if you want, if you wanted to like, this is, do we have, we're not is, going down this road again where we have someone's bird rights and know that and don't actually pay them to keep them if they end up being, no, we're not doing this shit again. Kyle, it's uh, important. The GM can cite it as an important factor uh, in why they made the trade. I'm not doing it this. Is, it is important <laughs> if like, if for whatever reason, you know, God willing, he shows out and balls out, uh, in theory, we could pay him, but whether or not we actually do, but yes, his contract does expire after this year. Well, there you go. Now, suddenly the Bucks have what? Three, the Bucks have three potential roster spot openings that they'll have to fill and that could be used for the draft picks or I don't know. I, I think it at least gives a little bit more flexibility in terms of bringing in guys on vet minimums or depending on how the Bobby and Pat Connaughton deals go. We'll see. I don't know. I, I feel like it gives Horse more options uh, in terms of how he wants to retool this roster. Here's the deal. What Adam said two weeks ago is so true. If Brooke isn't out there, we're so screwed seven ways to Sunday. It doesn't matter if Serge Ibaka turns into a 22-year-old. We're done. We are absolutely done. So this guy, in an ideal world, he'll get like 10 minutes uh, to spell Giannis against like a bigger other opponent. Otherwise, he is not going to see the floor, ideally. So, um, Or if he's playing more than 10 minutes, something has seriously gone wrong and we got bigger problems. So that's like the essence of the Serge Ibaka trade is like he'll be useful for particular lineups or particular matchups. I do not expect him to come in and have the impact of a PJ Tucker. I think that's just that's expecting way too much. And if that's going to be the case, you can wonder, oh, is giving up Dante like worth that? I don't know. That's, I, I think that's a fair question to wonder. But, uh, you know, if it works out in the 10 minutes, I think it might be like a pretty decent signing, all things considered. So, Yeah, and he does have – he has a pretty decent history of shooting in the in the playoffs from three. That's he, is, he is like a playoff performer guy, which I think – didn't PJ also have like a little bit of a reputation of maybe not being like a total baller, but like a guy you could rely on in the playoffs? That is something. I mean, we've had a lot of guys come through where it's like – Let's see if it works. Let's good luck out there against Miami. And then you just go, oh, of 10, you know, and we never see you again. So if he does have like a playoff history that we can go back to be like, oh, he's he's performed like obviously against us in the Eastern Conference final. He played at like a really high level. And that was just a couple of years ago. Whether he can still do that. I don't know. But at least he did it at some point. It's a it's an interesting move. I think Kyle touched on something else that's going to be fascinating is to see how they fill the other pieces there's some talk potentially. So there were a couple buyout conversations, of course. Um, the most surprising one to me was that the Milwaukee seems to be in on the Goran Dragic buyout potential. I think it was Dallas, Milwaukee, two other teams. I can't remember which ones, but I don't know. Would I don't know if they have any chance of getting him. Dallas obviously, obviously is the leader, and I think Chris Haynes was – reporting that basically Dallas is it's a done deal to Dallas, but that someone else said, I think Stein said there's a couple more teams that are interested. 
was there anyone, is there anyone as you sort of shift your idea to buy out or who will fill the other spots that, that piques your interest, Kyle? No idea because I was hoping it'd be Thad Young and then he went to a team that probably will keep him. So I have no idea who's going to be on the buyout market. You know, like I could see maybe a Robin Lopez, but I don't see the point of bringing him in. I, I know, like, people keep saying Eric Bledsoe, but it sounds like Portland's going to stick with Eric Bledsoe. I, I, I legitimately do not know because I don't care enough about the buyout market. <laughs> like, I, I feel like if we're relying guys from the buyout market, then we're in a whole different... Then that I feel like we are past feeling good about it. Like, as long as you have the big three healthy and you get Brooke back, none of the rest matters. But, no, I, 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 I don't know. Like... I, I don't know what they're going to do with these spots. I'm sure there's going to be a couple more guys that come in on 10 days. I'm sure there'll be a two a new two way at some point. Maybe they bring up some of the guys for the herd. I, I don't know, I, but I don't know any dudes that are potential buyout guys. I would have to look into it. Uh, we can't sign Goron because I can't pronounce his last name. Try as I might. And I am not going to be doing that for the entire playoffs this is just struggling with Dragic. Did I get it? I think I got it that time, but that's like a one in 10 sort of thing. He is a punk. Let's get that. Let's just put that out there. But if he came in and he looked Chris in the eye and said, I'm sorry for being a punk. And then he went to every player around the room, you know, Pass if we brought in pass bucks, if we had like a kumbaya moment, then maybe I'd forgive him because as of like a year ago, he was still a pretty high level player. And having a George Hill backup option in case something is like, you know, he's missed a couple of games with like a neck injury, um, just having more competent, legit like ball handling would be good. I think if we got him, I'd be pretty pleased with that, you know, emotions aside. And then I don't think we need a big man anymore uh, between Brooke. Uh, Bobby, Giannis, um, Serge, and Greg, if Greg Monroe sticks around, that's like five to six big bodies that we already have. And I think the back end of the guys are going to have pretty limited roles. In that case, the one area that we seem to be really lacking is a true backup for Chris, necessarily. Um, I know that DeAndre Bembry got waived, bought out. I can't quite recall uh, which what happened there, but he's available. I think he... His time with Bud might have like crossed over a little bit in Atlanta. Uh, he's like sort of in that six five six nine can defend wing mold, which I think would be cool. Like I think that would be somebody that we don't necessarily have. Uh, but kind of like Kyle, if you were to ask me, like, oh, is there another name that stands out? Not particularly this year. Uh, once Thad Young was off the board, it kind of seemed like the buyout guys. Uh, unless you want to go get Gary Harris and see if he's got anything, but uh, guys fall from grace is a little hefty. So I'd be worried about that. So th- those would be the two names that are jumping out to me. Yeah. Kyle made the most important point that, that normally buyout guys, it's tough for them to really make an impact. Marvin Williams aside, salute to him, of course. No, I don't think we have to say Marvin Williams did make an impact as soon as that ge- that series is over. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was an impactful moment. And of course, hopefully they convert Mamu to fill one of the spots, but so we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on the buyout market, but the, obviously the big move was getting surge and we'll have to see how he's integrated into the team. And if, if nothing else, it, it kind of seems like we, most of us feel we got a player who could potentially play in the playoffs. Maybe, you know, hits a couple threes in a game could, could swing a game or something. And in the long run, that's really all, all you're ever hoping for from a player who you're upgrading and, and Shemi and Roddy were obviously never going to do that. So, yeah, we got to recall that the PJ Tucker experience was an extreme outlier. That's like a Mark Gasol getting traded to Toronto level, like move. And I'm a bigger fan in like working the margins and this falls within that, but the odds of you hitting a home run there is pretty low, all things considered. So uh, just keep that in mind when evaluating Serge Ibaka over the coming weeks. Yeah, I would say, this move probably just allowed horse to try and get some guys on the buyout market more likely. But I, I think it was the right decision as you were going to have to deal with the Dante restricted free agency, which I'm sure is not the headache that horse wanted to deal with, especially considering Dante's probably at best the third op like third in priority in terms of guys he needs to bring back. 
Yeah, and he also gets he gets two more second round picks to try and play around with potentially uh, in the off season and going into next year. So, or he can use them for the draft. I don't know. <laughs> nah, that they don't do that. That's we don't like <laughs> yeah, to do. That's that. lame. Yeah. That's lame. Unless unless a guy of the caliber of Sandro's in there, you don't use your second round picks, or you owe a favor to Giannis's agent. Those yep. are two times you use the second. Oh round. my god, I forgot Khalid Zakis. God, what an awful pick. He's he gonna terrible he, he will basketball. he is gonna get a ring. We <sighs> hope we hope he gets a ring. <laughs> Although I will say, like, he did use the two second round picks in the past to get Grace out. So, yeah, maybe there, there could be some value in that. All right. Well, so that's sort of the Bucks side of it. We, we obviously should touch just a little bit on the the landscape of the Eastern Conference, which which changed pretty, um, pretty significantly, or at least t- the rosters changed pretty significantly of some of the teams on there. So I, I'm sorry, I'm getting really quizzical looks from from my other two uh, partners here. So, of course, James Harden was traded to the Philadelphia 76ers for Ben Simmons. Uh, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks. Kyle, what'd you uh, what'd you think of this this massive trade? It, it's funny how a trade could technically help both teams get out of toxic situations by bringing in people that are toxic, and it still doesn't help them beat the Bucks in any way, shape, or form. I, I will say this. You know Ben Simmons ain't shit when the team has to include Andre Drummond, who's whatever, no one cares, Seth Curry, who's pretty good, and two first-round picks to get rid of you, only to bring in James Harden. Like, that's how you know you ain't worth anything. So that's one thing about Ben Simmons, and it's just funny that Joel Embiid had that tweet right after, which, top 10 trolling moment. So that means Ben Simmons ain't shit. And then you have James Harden, who isn't shit. And the fact that a team would willingly take Ben Simmons to get rid of you, it is embarrassing. Like I would be embarrassed if I was James Harden. Like I would uh, I got traded for Ben Simmons. Like there's a team out there that thought, you know what? We need to just get rid of you. We're gonna take Ben Simmons. We're gonna take this sorry ass player just because we don't want to deal with you anymore and because you wanna leave. That has got to be the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. Like, this just made me laugh because two bums just proved how no one respects them. We saw what happened in the All-Star draft. James Harden was the last pick. It, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't understand how you could be a James Harden fan. And you know what? To the guys over in Harden My Take, I just hope that you are still miserable. And I hope you look at yourself in the mirror and realize how much of an imbecile you looked. I did not know that was a podcast. Oh, yeah. It's a bum-ass podcast that the Houston Rockets SB Nation page has. Yeah, it's just a couple of bums supporting a bum. Did they still support him? To, like, I don't to know. I don't give a shit. They, they, <laughs> they, they decided to hitch their wagon on James Harden, and that is their own fault. And that makes you a damn fool. I, I will say I have a coworker who's a diehard Houston Rockets fan, and he is he is still definitely supporting James Harden. And <sighs> no. so, feel, look, I, I don't want to say it to him. I, I I'm just I, I'm not very confrontational, and it's digital now. But I, I'm just I'm letting his do I'm letting him do his his thing. So, like I said, but- it, it's just embarrassing that two dudes that no one respects you you are so disrespected. You get traded for James Harden. You are so disrespected that team would rather have Ben Simmons than you. Like there is that just shows how low on the respectability people have for you. Now, here's a crucial follow-up question. From the lows of Kyle Slander to the highs of the city of brotherly love, Adam, can you give us a report for what things were like in the city today? Were the rats that are infesting your apartment, were they celebrating? What kind of like, what are we we looking at in Philadelphia? Because today is the day. This is the day they've all been waiting for. What's it like there? Yeah, the rats stood up. They were all of a sudden hungry. They couldn't. They couldn't. You know, figure out why. They just felt like they wanted to fatten up a little. The, the light poles were greased. People were climbing all around. <laughs> they were donning their beards. Uh, and, and so it's a small, small poll, of course, but um, of, my, of my friends I asked out here what they thought of the trade. Their, their primary concern was um, the loss of, of Andre Drummond. <laughs> and why, what was their primary? Were they emotionally attached, strategically attached? Uh, it was what about the, Andre the, the, the strategic rebounding that Andre Drummond is uh-huh. offering them. They're, they're quite concerned that the loss of, of Andre Drummond might spell doom for the, uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers franchise. 
as every team who has ever had Andre Drummond play for them know, they look great on the box score. They are worthless in reality. They are absolutely worthless. <laughs> I can understand in theory, like quiet one Joel and be like not work at that so much, but come on, Joel, you gotta, you gotta go start doing some rebounding. Uh, Get out of here, Andre Drummond. That's yeah. I think okay. people are excited though. I mean, at the same time, it's, st- it's still, I know it's like what I know we're going bum for bum or whatever, but I am still kind of in disbelief that it got to this point where Ben Simmons really should not have been being able to trade for, he should have been traded for even anyone, even as, as much as Harden might've fallen from grace. It is crazy to me that people that just sitting around happen to somehow work out for Maury. I, I and, and I, he can do whatever I, I, think his way of building teams is I guess valid but it certainly hasn't been validated by the results yet and I I, I find it really really unlikely that that pairing combustible stars once again is, is somehow going to to result in a in a championship it not to mention in a, in a city that is incredibly uh you know willing to turn on you at a moment's notice so I, I just have to say I am thrilled that the move was made because I cannot wait to watch the city turn on James Hart. It is going to be oh, that's so going to be good. fantastic. Yes, Ugh. that is going to be top tier entertainment. I cannot if people, wait. If people thought the local sports like news station broadcasting a trash bin running down an <laughs> overflowing river into like a gorge was rough, they ain't seen nothing yet of this trade doesn't work out in like the next year. Because here's the thing: everyone knew Ben Simmons's flaw, and no one like tried hiding it. Everyone knew what the flaw was, but that's what you get. You knew that y- if you had faith. It, that's your problem. People are going to have James Harden's going to have one game where people have faith in him, and then he's going to have his normal playoff choke job, and everyone's going to be like, "What the heck happened?" It's like, no, this is this is who James Harden is. This is a guy that has played with Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and still can't win anything. He showed that he is not a good number one. He showed he can't be a good number two, and now he's going to expect to be the number two to Joel Embiid. Uh, yeah, yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that, Philly. Uh, wasn't Seth Curry like sort of important to Philadelphia? I saw his name like a lot. That's also of... the thing. Like again, the fact that Ben Simmons is such a bomb that they had to include a good player to get rid of him. And I, I, I don't know what Philly's plan is besides we're just going to have Joel Embiid and James Harden combined to take 80 shots. Cause I, I keep hearing about Tybal and I keep hearing about Maxi and yeah, they're fine. But if I'm the walking bucks, I'm really not worried. We're going to see both them and the Nets within like the next, I think 17th is against Philly and then after the All-Star break against Brooklyn. So those will be good games. The slander aside, I agree that there's not a lot about this swap for swap that scares me about either team. The question I keep asking is, what are you, the opponent, going to do about Giannis? Uh, And let's say they like find, I, I just like, I find it difficult to see anybody on Brooklyn, who can stop Giannis? Andre Drummond is not going to be able to do that. And does Ben Simmons, is he man-guarded? Oh, yeah, of course, he's he's an effing baby. So we've seen how this works out for guys who try to defend him. That's and Even if the Brooklyn move is like, we're just going to go like all shooting, like all out shooting, who defends for you? you? If you want to go like any sort of defense, you're going to have to have Ben Simmons, notable guy who never shoots anything. Like, that's just his MO. So there's nothing from Brooklyn besides, like, KD going supernova. And on top of that, we've yet to get over the Kyrie, like, he's here today and he's not going to be here tomorrow because of, like, COVID restrictions. I'm sorry. Like, that's hard for any team to make up for losing and then regaining their starting point guard. Like, I think Kyrie can play in, like, 10 of the last 29 games from Brooklyn. So he's not going to be there a whole bunch. And then for Philadelphia, uh, the question is, like, okay, they get – Joel Embiid, who maybe defends Giannis, but then like we'll have other guys who can do some of the primary defending on Joel Embiid. It's not going to be like a duel between those guys and let James Harden like try to beat you the rest of the way. I just I feel comfortable seeing the way these teams are stacked up, depending on like buyouts, that we have the tools in place to be able to like absolutely either burn them on defense if they try to go like offense heavy and if they don't go offense heavy and try to like balance out i mean you're gonna have to get just absolutely bailed out by stars and we saw twice last playoff run that that didn't work for teams like at a certain point a guy can only hoist like 60 plus shots 
so many times before it, it just at some point it comes to an end. What's your reliable offense? I don't see that for either team right now necessarily. I guess I just don't know what the closing lineup that Brooklyn would throw out there because you would have Kevin Durant. You probably have Claxton. I like. I guess he would be in the closing lineup, but then what? Seth Curry, Patty Mills, and then what? Like, are you going to try Ben Simmons in clutch? Like, and then you're playing four on five on offense. I, I get that's where I'm not sure how you approach this if you're Brooklyn in terms of closing lineup. Like, you could go Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Kevin Durant, and that's enough offense, but none of those guys are going to be able to guard Giannis. And then even then, Drew's going to be able, if they somehow get someone, Nick Claxton, to be in front of Giannis, Drew Holiday can dominate all of them. And then it's a question of, if you put Ben Simmons out there, okay, fine. Defensively, that kind of helps. But then, again, on offense, you're just playing a man down. So I don't know how Brooklyn does a closing lineup. That's why I think like it was a good trade in terms of just getting out of the toxic situation, making their situation slightly better, but it doesn't help them in terms of beating the Milwaukee Bucks in the seven game series. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not particularly scared. I can't, I can't really be scared of anything after what the Bucks did last year. I mean, they spotted teams, two games to start several series. They were down five in the waiting minutes of game seven against the Nets and Drew Holiday for all of us, all of a sudden just started making shots for some reason after not making anything all game. Like there's, there's not really anything that can scare me. The the Nets getting Ben Simmons. It's kind of a prime. Sure. They can have him try to guard Giannis. Realistically, I don't know if many Nets can guard Giannis much better than Blake did in the series last year. Like he, he, and obviously Giannis got his, but Blake did like a pretty decent job in terms of drawing offensive fouls, which is basically the best way to guard Giannis. I, th- I thought he, I don't know how much better Ben Simmons can be at, at, at defending Giannis than that. Not to mention offensively, there's the prime player for Giannis to sag off of, which was what made the net so difficult to guard with, was the, you know, the array of shooting, the, the fact that Giannis might have to guard a player on the perimeter who might be able to scoot past him, you know, if people remember the one, basically the one play where the Nets had all three of their players, Giannis was guarding Kyrie, which was very interesting. And I'm, you know, we never really will get to see that ever again. So I'm not particularly fearful of that. I think the the Sixers thing is is it's getting lost a little bit. How much James Harden? Obviously, we I mean we all know it, but James Harden has not performed very well in the playoffs. Has not shot it particularly well. He can turn the ball over plenty. We saw that against the Bucks and Joel Embiid for all of his good traits has turned the ball over a lot in late game situations. I think he had like eight turnovers in that game seven against the Hawks, which never gets talked about. He never seems to get any blame for the fact that the Sixers continue to not go that far. And he has a perfect, perfect scapegoat next to him. Once again, should they fail? No, he doesn't. Now he does. Oh, well now. Yeah. I mean, I guess he could use that is true. Joel Embiid has done a really masterful job of, he is the like, the second coming, you know, like he's untouchable. There's never going to be a time where somebody turns on him, unfortunately. So, so I mean, this is probably perfect for him because if they do flame out, unless Embiid is terrible, it's going to go all the blame's going to go to Harden. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a perfect shield once again for him. So, so I'm not particularly scared. I'm not fearful from an on court perspective at all. Like Riley said, I don't know how they guard Giannis. Any, it's just surprising to me. I mean, like all of a sudden, Riley, the the Bucks Nets. Rivalry, I guess there's still the KD part of it, but like this juggernaut is is done, or the supposed juggernaut is just gone. Um, yeah, I guess objectively it is a little crazy, but like you were saying, with combustible personalities, that was always going to be a little strange from the get go. Uh, Kyrie has been kind of a, a unique individual for like even before the pandemic, he had like you know open your third eye type shit, which is fine, but that's the kind of guy. KD is like. I don't know. He looks like he's in a hostage video every time I see him. He's like the most nonplus guy I've ever seen in my life. And then James Harden, obviously, uh, competitively more comfortable asking his way out of multiple situations. So I guess, yes, it is a little strange that it blew up the way it did. There are extenuating circumstances like a global pandemic, for example. If we didn't have that, we're probably in a totally different situation. Um, but this is... This I think it goes back to the value of where Milwaukee is at. It's like 
you know, for all of Chris's flaws, all of uh, Drew's flaws, Yanis doesn't have a lot, but there are a couple here or there. Personality-wise, the competitive mindsets—it's—it's it's never like I need to get mine, you get yours. You know, it's my shot, your shot. Um, there's never any concern about like who's getting paid, who's going to be considered like the overall star. I think everybody knows what the pecking order is. It's Giannis first and foremost. Like, there's no questioning that. When you start putting a lot of like guys who think they're one A next to each other, who somebody has to figure out who the one and who knows how that'll work out with Philadelphia because. Uh, Joel Embiid, uh, notoriously surly guy. James Harden, notoriously surly guy. I'm not, I question sometimes the competitive mindset for each guy. I know Joel did a lot of crying after they lost to the Raptors or whatever, but to me, to tweet out that meme or whatever right after Ben Simmons get hilarious, yes. That doesn't, to me, that doesn't speak super well about like where you are in terms of focusing on like, winning you know and this isn't a question that he like wants to whatever but there's just enough signs that if i was a philly fan or as a bucks fan looking from the outside we're on a more stable foundation than these other teams are um and that kind of proved through outlasting the nets which as soon as like two hammer blows came through the whole thing collapsed and it doesn't help that steve nash appears to be an awful coach so shout out to you steve nash keep keep doing whatever kd tells you to do i guess i guess the thing that makes it interesting to me is this whole big three that the Nets were supposed to have, and they only had 16 games together. That is, and I mean, you were, that's a lot of expecting. And part of it is Kyrie's self. Again, it was the idea going into the season of, oh, well, if they have their big three, it's fine. Well, you're counting James Harden to be fit, which that's a gamble. You were counting on Kyrie. And then Kyrie had his whole vax situation, which then took that out of the equation. It was just one of those, I don't know where the idea was coming from that you were going to have be fully healthy. And now you have this situation. And then Philly, I'm just, like like I said, I've heard a lot about Tybal and I've heard a lot about Maxi, and sure, they might be able to take that next step. But getting rid of Seth Curry, who was a guy that really was what Philly needed to, and the inverse of Joel Embiid in terms of a guy that can create his own shot, a guy that can be a good shooter, a guy that doesn't need the ball to be effective. So you see all that, and now that's gone. And that's where I'm kind of wondering, in terms of that depth issue with Philly, what's going to happen there? And yeah, you're going to have two surly guys, but I, I think the bigger issue for Philly is you just lost you know, probably the biggest threat to complement Embiid. And now you got to figure, and you got to try and make it work with Harden. And that's two guys that need to have the ball in their hands to be effective. So I, I don't know. Good on the Bucks for beating the Nets because, good lord, how insufferable it could it have been? And like in an alternate universe, the Nets win the title, and everyone and like there, this trade never happens, and it would have been insufferable. At the end of the day, basketball is a lot of different things, but at heart, it's a people management thing. Uh, and the, the teams that succeed, the Bucks, the it, against all odds, it looks like the Phoenixes, the Golden States, the you know the Miami. Even though I don't like them, but like the whole deal Utah. for them, is, yeah, like all these teams that have somewhat sustained success with guys who could have like big personalities. It's about people management. The Sixers failed miserably with the whole. Uh, Simmons thing, no matter, you know, whether or not you think he was like, oh, we're blowing the situation. I mean, I think they did an awful job with like just managing the people involved. And then obviously the Nets horrendous, like they're going to be in like the Harvard business review of how do you poorly manage expectations between employees or whatever. So I I think that's what shows here is like, at the end of the day, this sport is people management. uh, And if you can't people manage, you're going to have to, like Kyle said, do toxic for toxic and hope you can like redo it at some point, but if you already got that stink going on, I don't know how you fix it necessarily. Oh, going to be an interesting end of the season. Any other trades that were interesting to you? Porzingis got moved. There was the Halliburton thing. I don't know, anything else interesting from the trade deadline for you two? The Halliburton was just hilarious because only the Kings would find a way to take their best young asset and trade it for nothing of value. It is the most Kings thing I've ever seen. Otherwise, I mean, I don't know what the Wizards are doing. I I don't understand that trade at all, but whatever works for them. 
Um, I'm kind of surprised that the Lakers didn't make a panic trade considering they just looked bad, and especially Westbrook has looked bad. I'm surprised there wasn't a panic trade there. I'm surprised a team like the Knicks or the Bulls or Charlotte, like, or even Miami. Like, I'm surprised a lot of these other teams didn't make a trade. But the Kings one just makes me laugh because it's like this was peak Kings. I did see somebody tweet, and I don't know if they were joking. I hope they did. They said, well, in a way, Dante kind of does a little bit of everything that Halliburton did. So, like, their idea was Dante is the Halliburton replacement, which felt a little strong of a take for (laughs) my taste. If I was to highlight one trade that I would be mildly concerned about, it would be the Thad Young to Toronto. Uh, Not because I think he swings the series necessarily, but that's another guy who literally has the exact same height, weight, and wingspan as eight other guys on Toronto's roster. And that defense is going to be horrendous to play against. So uh, I I don't think we would lose to them necessarily, but I would not be happy to see Toronto with Thad Young, even though he's not like, there's no true Giannis stopper, but he does a pretty good job and Toronto as a unit does. So more guys they have who do a good job against Giannis uh, puts more question marks up. So Yeah, the the Raptors are doing that like video game thing where you clone a player and you have like 10 of the same player and it's all like 6'9 or 6'10 yeah, guy yeah. who can handle the ball. It's really weird. They are annoying as hell to play against and Nick Nurse owns Budenholzer right now. So, all right. Well, this was uh, this was your emergency trade deadline pod. We we promised. I don't know if we promised it. Did you guys promise it? We, we said if there was a player equal value or above Dante, we would do an emergency pod. Okay. And we said that if we like, if it was way above Dante, I would call in Kyle and I would call in from our respective restrooms at our offices to record the pod, uh, you know, in the safety of the restroom as necessary. So we didn't have to do that, but we did promise to record. Well, well, thank goodness promise. And we did deliver. We will have, uh, we have continuing coverage of the trade deadline on Brew Hoop. I'm, there should be a recap of the Suns game too, that we did not touch on and is currently going on. The and Bucks we'll are down a- eight at half. Um, just based off of everything, they cannot stop DeAndre in the paint, and the refs are terrible. That is what I'm gathering from Twitter. Oh, good. All right, that's a good sign. Uh, Van will have his progress report on Friday. We're going to have a roundtable about the trade deadline. Uh, and otherwise, stay tuned. We'll be moving to the All-Star break soon. We'll have some fun games against Philly and Brooklyn coming up. So go to brewhoop.com for all our usual stuff, and we will talk to you again soon. We can use it together. I think I can be a professional basketball player.